0: Ducks Unlimited invites you to the third annual Ducks Unlimited Expo presented by Purina ProPlan at Texas Motor Speedway, May 5th through 7th. Watch the premier canine performance athletes of the dog world competing in the incredible dog challenge. Test drive a new ATV or visit the live fire shooting ranges. DUX, the show for everything outdoors. To learn more, visit duckexpo.com. Howdy, everybody. This week's podcast, also brought to you by Spartan Forge. Born in war, Spartan Forge was conceived while targeting terrorists. Think about that. Targeting bad guys during deployments in support of the global war on terror. We can also use this technology, because of its similarities, to track mature bucks. Now it's time to get this analysis into your hands. It's military-based intelligence, next-generation mapping. I absolutely love it. And I love the people behind Spartan Forge. They're like me. Second Amendment till the day we die. No exceptions. America first. Spartan Forge. Check it out by downloading the app today.
1: everybody's talking about sheep and they say boy you ain't a poet just a drunk with a pen over and over again and again Lord, don't know about the places i've been it gets hard out here i know it don't look it
0: i used to have all, all right all right, right cable smith welcome everybody into episode 676 of sci's lone star Outdoor show presented by mossberg firearms Little Hayes Carl Hard out here kicking things off for us today. Thank you so much for tuning in. It is a pleasure, a treat, an honor to be here talking hunting, fishing, the great outdoors, and all that implies with you fine folks. So thanks for dropping by. Uh, It is a wonderful time of the year. What did I do uh, this past week? Um, Sunday I took Frankie on her first turkey hunt. Uh, You know I took. Henry and Stella down to South Texas, and Frankie was the odd man out on that deal. So, her and I uh, got to go do our own thing last Sunday, and uh, didn't get a turkey, but we dang sure saw some, and it's hard when you, uh, we were hunting a place that I had never hunted before. I had a general idea from the landowner as to where the turkeys might be, and we got there, um just as the sun was coming up and I saw a black dot in the field and I was like, whoops, looks like the turkeys are already off the roost and it's close. You know, we could get about 300 yards away uh, and then we would have been sitting ducks. So we set up there, used a little elevation. They'd go behind a little roll and you know, the topography and we inch closer and uh, maybe about eight o'clock Frankie goes, dad, there's a coyote. And s- like, sure enough, here he comes running across the field He gets to the fence line where we're hunkered down in the shade, walks to within 10 yards, and I go, give me that 410. Smoked him with the TSS. He ran off. Uh, Didn't go far, though. And, uh, And then the turkeys would actually play ball about 1030. They finally got to where they could see the decoys, and there was two toms, five hens in the field. The five hens finally went and did their own thing, and about 45 minutes later, here come the toms, but they came from directly in front of us and they had to have seen Frankie move because uh, she's shooting off of a tripod with the with the 410 and I needed them to come and just like Fred's uh, Fred Zink said on that recent campfire conversations we did you want the turkeys to come from the side so they can't pick you out if they're coming right at you well the slightest movement I mean that's their biggest defense right is their eyesight and it didn't pan out and then they stayed about 60 to 70 yards away from us for the next hour. I'd talk to them. They'd gobble back. They'd strut. I mean, box call, mouth call, slate call, all of it. I mean, I threw the kitchen sink. Every sound I'd ever heard a turkey make, I tried to imitate once one, after they initially skirted the decoys, you know, and they're leaving and then I call them back. But just not, well, definitely into 12 gauge range, but not 410 for a, an eight-year-old tiny human. I asked her, I said, do you want dad to shoot one? She goes, no, I want to shoot one. I said, okay. So, um, we didn't get one, but I think there's something to be said for, you know, hard work and maybe having to earn it makes it that much sweeter. So next time Frankie girl, but we had a, uh, we had a good time, of course, got the donuts for at seven on the way to go hunting, all that good stuff that, you know, those are the little things that, that, uh, kids look forward to that just make the whole experience that much more memorable for them. So good times, uh, with my baby girl, um, who is the baby by exactly two minutes. She's two minutes younger than Stella. (laughs) Uh, So also uh, went out to the Trinity River up by Lake Louisville uh, on Wednesday. And this was cool and something I hadn't done in a while. But uh, my friend Stephen Palmer, who works over at the Orvis shop in Plano, Texas, uh, he and I went up there and did a little fly fishing for, well, a lot of people would call them trash fish, but for buffalo. Uh, Didn't see any carp in that stretch of the river, but there were buffalo everywhere, and uh, I hooked in, had three of them actually eat my fly, and uh, landed two of them, so that was super cool. Hell of a fight on a five-weight fly rod, by the way, Uh, so thanks, Stephen, and uh, good times with our friend, our old buddy from Orvis. Uh, What are we doing today? Let me tell you. You know what to do. Pull up that stool a little closer to the old campfire. Pour yourself another cup of coffee out of that beat-up old Stanley Thermos because we are ready to rock and roll. Off the top, we will visit with Bladen Benson of Arizona. He owns Desert Kings Falconry. And the cool thing is is that uh, he took an interest in falconry at a a young age and has turned that into a career. What they do is uh, they are a pest removal service that exclusively uses birds of prey. So um, we're going to spend quite a bit of time with, uh, with Bladen here on today's show as I am fascinated by birds of prey, always have been. And uh, if you like hawks and falcons, that sort of thing, uh, then I think you will be entertained by the upcoming conversation with Bladen. Then um, we'll check in with our old buddy, Uh, Brian Lynn of Sportsman's Alliance. Lots to get into with Brian, of course. Uh, Tons of anti-hunting, anti-gun legislation coming down the pike on state levels. Uh, Sportsman's Alliance is on the front lines fighting against those, keeping everyone aware of what's going on. So we'll talk about some of those things. We'll hit on wolves and the Biden administration's uh, recent underhanded attack on our hunting heritage. We'll explain more about that coming up in just a little bit. That's what's on the docket for today. Going to be a good one. A quick giveaway. I don't know if you've heard of skull hookers, but skull hooker is a great way to put your Euro mount either on a desk. They've got one that's uh, called the table hooker or on the wall. And I've got a couple of each. Absolutely love these things. They're a beautiful way to accent your European mount. And we'll give away a skull hooker and a table hooker. So that's uh mounts for two of your whitetail or mule deer Europeans. Uh, all you need to do is email skull hooker to Lone Star Outdoorshow at gmail.com. Super cool and practical way to display your Euro mounts. Um, let's knock out that break. Up next, Bladen Benson of Desert Kings Falconry rejoins us on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Tomorrow we can drive around this town and let the cops chase us
1: around. The past is gone, but something might be found
0: today. Land is the one thing they're not making any more of, but we all want it. And Lone Star Ag Credit has been helping its borrowers finance their own piece of paradise for over a hundred years. They'll do the same for you. If you're ready to take that next step and make the dream of owning your own land reality, then head over to LoneStarAgCredit.com. Hey guys, Cable here for Armosite. If you're looking to light up the night, whether that's with thermal or night vision, then you need to head over to Armorsight.com. That's where you can find all of the thermal night vision monoculars, uh, thermal weapon sights, and, of course, night vision nods. Yeah, those cool-looking helmets, the one that I have. Yeah, buddy. You can find them over at Armorsight.com. They've got it all right there. And even better than that, they've got some new stuff coming down the pike, like the 640 contractor. I've got the 320, 640, even better. You can find it all at armorsite.com.
2: I'm Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch, here reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a -a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by Hunters for Hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com.
0: Well, you have been a fighting man. You've seen your share of war. Living
1: for your Uncle Sam, Sam.
0: Can't ever go wrong with little turnpike troubadours bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg. Cable Smith, Riding Shotgun, with you. Thanks for being here today. We're all set to uh, talk some birds of prey with Desert Kings Falconry owner Bladen Benson. But before we get into the uh, most fascinating of bird species, I just I love the raptors. I truly do. Uh, this segment is brought to you by SCI, the worldwide leader in big game conservation. They are working actively in Washington DC to defend our rights both domestically and internationally because SCI knows hunting is conservation. They live it, they breathe it. I'm a proud member. We'd love to have you join our ranks and you can do so by heading over to safariclub.org. Okay, let's bring him on right now. Uh jumping on from Somewhere in Arizona, it is my pleasure to welcome Bladen Benson to the show.
2: Good to have good to have me on, man. I'm excited to meet you. Absolutely.
0: So you're based out of Arizona. I am, yes. What part?
2: Well, I grew up in Gilbert, Arizona, but we're based in the company right now out of Mesa, Arizona. We're kind of all over though. So we're all over Arizona servicing all over Arizona right now.
0: Okay. Tell us a little bit about yourself. I see a bow hanging up there in the background. So Obviously, falconry is your passion, but I mean, you look like uh, based off of that little sign there, you probably do some hunting for yourself.
2: I've always loved the outdoors since I was a little kid, and that's how I got started in falconry. Actually, it's wanting to find a different way to hunt. So, as a kid, I was always hunting with BB guns and pellet guns, and going out with my grandpa, going and shooting birds. And then I kind of thought, hey, what's something that's harder that I can do to go out and hunt, and catch animals, and it's been a ride ever since and going out with a bird of prey and hunting and catching animals with a wild bird of prey.
0: Yeah. Do you hunt big game for yourself?
2: I do. Yeah. So I, I just got into big game hunting probably four years ago now. So I only hunt with a boat. Uh-huh. Uh, it's definitely an experience. It's not for everybody, but it's, it's. A oh good
0: yeah. Yeah. I've, uh, chronicled my my elk hunting, my archery elk hunting exploits on the show over the years. Some Septembers are great and uh, other ones, it's, uh, it's more of a tag soup experience.
2: I think so. The last four years of doing big game hunting, especially with a bow, I've only got stuff or killed some elk and some deer in the last two years. So the mm-hmm. first year successful, that's how most hunts are actually. And uh, finally, this last year, I was able to pull. An elk, a Colorado elk, and uh, a mule deer this year, so it's
0: nice. a good time. Absolutely. I don't think there's anything better than uh, archery elk hunting uh, in September, anyway. Um, now, for you, though, like, Arizona is one of the states where I don't even bother putting in for because, like, for a non-resident, I have to buy the tag just to apply. I'm like, and, and it's so competitive, like, I'm 41. I would have needed... To have, you know, I basically would have needed my dad to start applying for me, you know, by the yeah. time I draw, I'm going to be like uh, in a wheelchair.
2: I think the average wait time in Arizona is like 20, 15 to 20 years. Um, I got drawn my first year for one of the best units I, that I put in for. And I've been waiting three years now to get drawn for almost anything in Arizona. So I just do over the counter tags. That's actually why I do archery because I have over the counter hunts that mm-hmm. are on public land, but I can actually go out and hunt versus putting in for elk so this is my first year after three years where I, I got drawn for elk again in a very low density unit so i'm super super excited about that
0: so the residents uh have a better chance of drawing than me for sure if like you drew a in better chance year. but
2: it's not it's not that great it's it's really not because if you look at how many people put in for each unit it's well over like 1200 people put in for each unit so i mean your odds of getting drawn are I think the unit I put
0: in
2: for was five percent odds this uh-huh. year. No one yeah. puts in for it. Yeah, it's just crazy.
0: But yeah, you do got you guys do have some late season and early season over the tag stuff, even available to non residents. I know my buddy, um, he is going for a uh I think it's a late season archery mule deer hunt. So <laughs> like
2: yeah, good for him. I mean, good luck.
0: Like yeah. like December or January or something um might even be january it might be after the rut i think you have two actually I th- they were going to go this year and then some somebody got sick so they're going to go because you can just buy the tag over the counter yeah. so now they're going yeah, in, can, yeah. they're going in august now uh, so early early season
2: that's actually the best time to go so because yeah. one hunts so I, I go out in august for velvet mule deer or velvet white tail out here
0: Uh-huh.
2: no one out there it's too hot i mean it's 105 out while you're trying to sit there in glass. And yeah. it's awful. I mean, it's 100 in the shade. So it's actually the best time to go out because you have no competition. So no one's out there looking for the deer. Yeah. Um, is you know, just December to January. There's mm-hmm. so many people. We'll run into everyone just trying to get out there, go hunt deer. I've had dudes where I'm, I'm stalking a group, a herd of uh, deer, and they just start running at the deer because they're trying to push them towards their buddy. And I'm like, what's going on? <laughs> Just pack
0: up and leave You're like what's going on, man? Yeah. Yeah. Um but yeah, so you guys do have the the late and early season stuff, uh coos deer, elk too, I know that. Um but it but those prime September rut, you know, opportunities are few and far between. Um they are. so let's talk about falconry. You said you became interested in that at an early age and uh, so I grew up fishing, and my dad and I's thing was uh, we we had a Birds of North America book, and whenever we would go camping or go on a family road trip or wherever, we would document where we saw X bird, uh, whether that was some weird hummingbird we saw in New Mexico or a bird of prey, which were always you know my favorite thing. Um, and so I've always been super interested in in birds, and uh, and I always think that oh. I've always enjoyed the birds of prey more so than any others i find them fascinating like in texas early winter the american kestrels start showing up and they're dude there are they're everywhere and i think most people don't even know what they are they think that it's a dove on a power line because you find i them think in, it's a
2: little sparrow or something yeah, yeah you,
0: but no those like you, you really wouldn't those uh those little badasses are killing and eating sparrows
2: <laughs> they're you know i think the reason why so many people like birds of prey it's one of the few animals that humans can interact with and have a relationship with and see up close what they do in the wild. I mean, you see sparrows everywhere. You see doves everywhere. You see, um, hell, you even see owls, but hawks and falcons. You can build a relationship. I mean, like what we do with falconry. We
0: mm-hmm. go out
2: with a license, you know, proper permitting. We catch a wild bird of prey. It's, it's been in the wild. We then train it to work with us, to hunt with us. I mean, think about that for a second. Think about how amazing that is. We're taking something that's wild, Mm -hmm. afraid of you when you first catch it. It's it's trying to kill you. It's trying to do everything it can to get away from you. And then in four weeks, we can have that bird basically sleeping on our shoulder, catching rabbits, ducks, quail, and acting like it had never even been in the wild before. It's just, it just trusts you that much. And I think that's
0: one month is all it takes.
2: Well, okay, so each person is different. You know, some people can train birds. I know we have a guy that works for us right now. He trains birds in like three weeks. Um, When I first started in falconry, it took me two or three months to really get a bird going. What kind of bird do you have? So what species are you trying to train? And just your experience level, really.
0: So are you familiar with the Texas Hawking Association?
2: I'm not, but every state in uh, in the U.S. has like their own. Texas uh, Falcons Association or there's Arizona Falcons Association. There's the California desert hawkers. So like every, every state kind of has their own little thing going on.
0: Yeah. Oh, I was just curious. I've hunted uh, ducks with them quite a few times uh, with the peregrine uh, Falcons. And that's a super exciting hunt. Um, And you can, you know, it's a social thing. Like you just glass up a pond that you have access, you know, permission to hunt, find some ducks on it and then sneak over the dam you can even get a retriever involved if you like have a flushing dog or something, you know, it's, uh, but it's, it's like dove hunting. Cause you can have as many people as you want. Really? Uh, you don't you have can. to be, you got, to guess when you're stalking up on, on the tank dam, trying to flush the ducks up, you have to be quiet. But other than that, it's a pretty social, uh, sport. My I've gone out with
2: a group of 15 people before. And we had, uh, we like to fly hair stocks out here in Arizona. It's the best thing to fly. You know, we got a lot of rabbits, jackrabbits. And quail out here. Mm -hmm. So we'll have 12 to 15 people, total six birds out there. Everyone's just enjoying it. We're just flying, catching rabbits, you know, all hooting and hollering, trying to get those rabbits up out of the bushes. It's a fun event. And for people who have never seen it, it's amazing to watch.
0: Go back to the early days. You have to uh, become an apprentice to a licensed falconer.
2: Yeah. So there's a whole process to it. Everyone, I I get a lot of people on our Instagram, Desert Kids Falconry. They message me, hey, can I have a bird? Like, do you sell hawks and falcons? And I'm like, oh, I don't, but are you a licensed falconer in your state? They're like, oh, what's that? So we have to become licensed through the Game and Fish or your, your local Game and Fish for a falconer's license. And then they have to come out, check your facilities and make sure your facilities are up to date, they're proper for the birds, the birds are gonna be kept safe in them. And then you have to go out and get a sponsor. So someone who's been doing falconry more than two years that's willing to train you talk with you and be with you through the whole journey for your first two years of your apprenticeship mm-hmm. during that apprenticeship you can have a bird and you can hunt and you, you can do all that but you have to have a sponsor to help you with that because those are legal requirements.
0: yeah and i that transcends that's pretty much in every state is my understanding yeah. I know we have something Correct. similar here Correct. um so I'm guessing your first bird was probably a Kestrel or a Harris hawk.
2: So how I got started was, you know, we were looking at different ways to hunt. Right. And we just so happened at one of the airports where we, we had a plane and we ha- we found an injured Kestrel on the ground and a broken wing. So we were like, Hey, what is this? Let's take it. Let's take it in. Let's, let's fix it up. Take it to the local rehab center. And they go, Hey, we're just going to put this bird down. I mean, there's nothing we can really do for it. My grandfather and I were like, "No, no, we want to give this bird a chance." So we took it home, realized, "Hey, this is a falcon, a little falcon." We mended the wing we, the best we could. We we fed it mice and grasshoppers. We just fell in love with the bird, and we eventually actually let that bird go. Mm. You know, whether it did or not, you know who knows. But we we did let it go, and we just kind of started our love for falconry at that point. So our first bird was a red-tail hawk, actually. Mm. And then we moved from red tails to Harris Hawks, which is one of the most widely used birds of prey in the world. And they're, they're amazing. They're smart. And you can just have a blast all day hunting with them too.
0: Yeah. I have, uh, I've not hunted with them, but I've, the guys who owned the Peregrines all had one and say, so they let me put the glove on and they would, you know, yeah. it would fly off and then come back and land on your arm or whatever. Um, but though they're, yeah, they're, they're pretty cool birds. Uh, as are red-tailed hawks, which, you know, in the southern part of the United States, we have red-tailed hawks out the wazoo. Uh, chances are, if you're seeing a bird of prey uh, in my part of the world, probably 50% chance it's a red-tailed hawk. If it's oh, a big probably more
2: than that. So, yeah. they're, they're the most common bird of prey throughout the whole uh, North America. Uh-huh. Uh, but they just sit in the open. You know, like, so if you're seeing a bird on a pole and you're like, oh, is that an eagle? What is it? It's probably a red-tailed hawk. Like don't don't even question it. It's probably a red tail. Now out here in Arizona, if you see a bird on a pole, it could be a red tail or it could be a Harris Hawk because any out here, especially where I live. So Mesa, Arizona, we got a lot of mountains around us. Every other pole you're, you're driving past, it's like, oh, there's a Harris Hawk. Oh, there's another Harris Hawk, you know, and oh, there's a red tail too, but they're mm-hmm. out here.
0: Mm-hmm. Um last year I saw a bird in like deep south texas um that i had never seen before and i was watching we were turkey hunting and uh, i watched this hen walking across a pasture and she's like 300 yards away and i'm watching through my binos and all of a sudden this bird of prey dive bombs and you could see feathers fly everywhere and the hawk was half a third of the size of the turkey and oh yeah it was uh a white-shouldered hawk, I believe. I could I had to look it up. I don't remember. Uh, but it was one that I was like, it, it lives in Mexico and uh, deep south Texas. It was about the size of a red-tailed, but it was like, God, I didn't even know we had these birds here. Uh, there's so many.
2: There's so many different kinds. I mean, if I could sit here all day and just talk to you about the different kinds of birds that are everywhere that no one even realizes. Mm-hmm. I had some friends out in, I want to say Texas. Um, they were out hunting with Harris hawks. Mm-hmm. And caught a turkey. They had two Paris hawks, and they accidentally like caught a turkey. So yeah, I mean, these birds are—they're willing to go after prey much larger than they are, as, as long as they're trained really well. So it's really cool to see.
0: Yeah, I'm looking. at I'm just uh, looking it up. Make sure that it was called a white shoulder hawk. But uh, the turkey got away, and we we the, the guys that were with me. They're like, what did you say you just saw? And I was like, look, let's go over there and I'll show you the feathers. And it was like half of her tail was just laying there. In the uh, pasture, white shoulder. I believe it. Hog. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, white shouldered hunt. Uh huh. So it was pretty cool. Um, let's take a quick break here, Bladen. I want to come back and really dive into what you do with Desert Kings Falconry, providing a service to both uh, the commercial and residential uh, spectrum. Uh, fascinating stuff. And we'll do that next. That segment was brought to you by Numa. Geared for the outdoors, if you're not aware, um, much like Vortex offers a lifetime warranty on all of their optics, well, NUMA does the same on their hunting apparel, which seems absolutely insane because that's the thing that I beat up the most, uh, but they do it. Lifetime guarantee on all of their outdoor apparel, like the uh, Pathfinder Pant. It's my absolute favorite. and You can find that as well as their entire lineup at NumaOutdoors.com. Oh, and save 20% with that promo code LONESTAR20 when you check out online. We'll be right back Double on the Lone Star Outdoors Show. Ain't much fun But I'm a money-hungry son of a gun It ain't no easy living Ducks Unlimited invites you to the third annual Ducks Unlimited Expo presented by Purina Pro Plan, at Texas Motor Speedway, May 5th through 7th. Watch the premier canine performance athletes of the dog world competing in the incredible dog challenge. Test drive a new ATV or visit the live fire shooting ranges. DUX, the show for everything outdoors. To learn more, visit duckexpo.com.
1: diving for a rat on sunset Coyotes picking through the
0: trash. I wish I was lying like a cat in the sun. Of like a dog. Some Ray Wiley Hubbard, the, the beauty way, bringing us back I'm on board SCI's board Lone Star Outdoor Show, presented by Mossberg. I'm Cable Sometimes Smith. We're still visiting with uh, Desert Kings Falconry here today. We'll get back into that conversation with Bladen Benson in just a sec. This segment, though, is brought to you by Big and Jay. Whitetail Attractants and All Seasons Feeders, Blinds, and Smokers. They got a little bit of everything. And you can find their entire lineup at allseasonsfeeders.com. Okay, well, let's get back into it here with Falconer Bladen Benson. As far as what you do with these birds now, uh Desert Kings Falconry, you have a pest removal service?
2: We're the only company in the state of Arizona that offers the use of Hawks for pigeon removals, that's most of our work. So we do bird removal, uh-huh. but most of our work is pigeon work. So we're in central Phoenix using hawks to go catch and remove pigeons. And we do a lot of the work at nighttime, surprisingly. So everyone yeah. always asks, oh, do you come out during the day? You guys just chase pigeons around with the hawks? It's like, no, we actually go out like eight o'clock at night and we you take the hawks and we throw them up onto balconies or tall buildings and they grab pigeons and bring them back down to us. And that's how we remove pigeons out here in Arizona.
0: So if you're just removing one pigeon at a time though, that seems like it would be not counterproductive, but like, how do you, it's like feral hogs in Texas. Like how do you make a dent in the population? So does the hawk, when it kills one, like to, like disrupt the the pigeon's normal habits and now they're trying to find somewhere else to go roost or...
2: No, actually. so how we handle pigeons is we look at roosting pigeons. So pigeons that live on a building uh-huh. pigeons is that they will always go back to the same spot every night without fail. You know they're they're very you you've heard of a homing pigeon, right? Oh, yeah. go back that's they're their home. And I always
0: they're... laugh when one of them gets shot during dove season. <laughs>
2: <laughs> they're They're flying rats is what they are. They're not supposed to be here. They're from Europe. yeah, uh, there's, there's way too many of them. but our goal is to not catch all the pigeons in the area. Our goal is to only catch the pigeons that live on the property. So you could have hundred pigeons on a property on a property during the day, but only fifty of them live there. So our birds can catch about fifteen pigeons a night. Hmm. So we have tracks to be out there so many nights per month for the next year, and we'll catch we'll catch all fifty pigeons in one month, and then we start to go. And we look at the what we call visiting pigeons. So pigeons that are just going there for the shade, for the food, for the water. And we'll just start throwing the hawk out, out of the car and catching them as they're not paying attention or as they're just visiting for, for food on the ground. And that's mm-hmm. how we do it. Very successful. It works very well.
0: Yeah. So I, I, that's how I became aware of your Instagram page and tracked you down was uh, someone sent me a video of, I don't know if it was you or some, someone that works for you, but essentially you're, you're driving down the street you've got the window rolled down and out goes this kestrel and catches It was like a pigeon or a, i mean uh probably not a pigeon it was a, a blackbird or a sparrow or something
2: yeah so that's actually that wasn't me i know who you're talking about this is a gentleman he uses a kestrel to like fly out the car because he catches all kinds of stuff with that bird but we do the same thing so if you go through our instagram we'll take the hawks on a property that we're hired to be at and we'll throw them out of the car going like 30 35 miles down the road and we'll catch some pigeons. You know, it's, it's fun to watch. It's really fun to do.
0: And that's primarily with Harris Hawks.
2: We, we only use Harris Hawks. They're the easiest to use. Um, they're well-tempered. They're great around people. They don't get stressed out. So for people who aren't Falconers, you know, they always ask, Hey, why don't you use Eagles? Why don't you use, you know, this bird or that bird? Some Hawks are just not meant to be used in the environment that we're working in. Yeah. So some, will actually stress themselves out so much they'll die. And Harris Hawks, it's like having a dog. I mean, they'll just work for you. They'll do whatever you want. They're your best friend. They can handle just about every situation you throw at them. And they you know, they won't kill themselves due to stress.
0: Uh-huh. So I think these peregrines that I duck hunted with, like you're going to get max two or three flights out of them. And then they're, yeah. they're spent. These Harris Hawks can do a lot more damage just so keep our going. hair
2: stocks right now yeah they're they're working 10 to 13 hours a day sometimes more and they go all day jason i think as most he caught a day was like 20 25 birds and that was through a 10-hour period
0: every
2: mm-hmm. time we can go out our average is about 10 pigeons every night we go out but do the math i mean if you're going out every night and you're catching 10 pigeons for a whole month i mean that's 300 pigeons in a month
0: yeah yeah, that's a lot of pigeons, a lot. Um, so, what is it? What like what is uh what does it cost to hire a falconer to come over and say I've got this pigeon infestation? They're crapping all over everything. I want them out of here.
2: So we we charge eighty eight dollars an hour, but we do both residential and commercial. So we price out the commercial differently. It's going to take time. Huge property. A lot of times we'll get like a whole entire neighborhood to hire us. So we got to service six hundred homes in the course of six months. Um, but on average, I mean, it could be anywhere from, uh, $3,500 to $15,000, just depending on the actual problem of the pigeons. You know, we kind of have to drive around the neighborhood and go, okay, there's probably 1600 pigeons in this neighborhood and it's going to take us six months to do probably 50 hours each month, you know? So yeah, you're looking at 15 to $20,000.
0: Wow. So there there's money to be made there. Does this your full-time job?
2: This is what i do how i support my family this is how i support my hunting trips to colorado which my wife hates but you know uh-huh. we, i so uh this is what i do
0: full-time that's awesome very cool this is what i do full-time and people sometimes are like what are you, you don't really you don't have another job i'm like no this oh is- dude i
2: i stalk your page and you're out fishing you're taking your kids out turkey hunting i'm jealous i'm, I'm like super jealous i'm like this guy is living life right here just going out
0: well, they, like? uh, they're to that age now where they're really starting to enjoy it. So, um, and it makes me happy. I don't, I've pulled the trigger a lot of times in my life. Uh, it gives me more joy to watch them have success or failure. Yes. I mean, they're they're yeah. young, so there's failure involved too. But uh, yeah, uh, I get more pleasure out of that than, than pulling the trigger myself. But don't, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm still going to pull the trigger because I like that. Yeah, it's kid. still fun. Oh, yeah.
2: <laughs> like I'll take my kid. My kids are still young, so I got... I got four kids, all
0: under the age of three. But oh my gosh, you know, do you have twins? I do have twins. And yeah. so, okay, how old are the twins?
2: So I got three-year-olds, my oldest, and then I have a two-year-old, and then I have two twins, and they're four weeks old. Today. Oh
0: my gosh! It's been, a,
2: it's been a crazy month.
0: Yeah, I'm my uh, I de- have identical twin girls that are eight years old. They're, they're oh, you told me that actually,
2: yeah. Yeah, they're
0: right. they're sweet on their dad. I'll tell you that uh i that's uh there's nothing like a little girl um but got also, all boys. So, you got all boys yeah,
2: i got I have four boys, yeah
0: well, see, then the cool thing about that is you don't have to worry about all the other penises in the world, you know dude i
2: I only gotta worry about four penises
0: <laughs> right you,
2: you got you gotta worry about all of them now
0: I know I'm not excited about that that uh yeah, but I, mean, I have a lot I mean, of guns, yeah. I'll be like, hey, son, uh have her home by ten. Also, have you seen my gun collection? It's pretty go. extensive. Go, I don't got to worry about that. I don't got to worry about that. But uh, uh, so, I'll tell you one thing I do got to worry
2: about is my three and two year old, they're feral. Oh, yeah. They are, they're <laughs> insane. Like, I had to, before we started this podcast, I had to go outside and make sure they weren't trying to kill the chickens we have outside. Uh, I mean, they're sweet boys, but they just chase them down and they're like, oh, this is hilarious. Let's throw it against the brick wall in the backyard. Let's, let's see. <laughs>
0: like,
2: oh my gosh guys are
0: crazy well you know wars were one with with boys that turn into men kind of a yes you know there's a little bit of uh barbarianism in all of us It's just how you harness that how as you works. grow up yeah it's how it, it wasn't the world uh, wars weren't one with the I, I saw this week uh the Biden administration's hiring a, a drag queen to be the, a new military uh recruiter spokes like the face of this new program. Yeah. Like, yeah. I think I think Russia's like, look at these idiots, you know, like we're gonna we're gonna go fight a bunch of drag queens. Like, give me a break. They're China? laughing at us. They're the, laughing the at us. The whole world's laughing. I mean you at us. it's a joke. You've heard the
2: saying, you know, strong men make good times, good times make weak men, weak men make hard times, you know. So oh, yeah. We're in those middle stages right there. So. That's,
0: there's no doubt about that. Um so are some I know you said you only use Harris Hawks. Are some individual birds like too stubborn? You're like, this one's just let's just let this one go back to the wild because it's just it's not cut out for this.
2: Yeah. So it's
0: feral, like your boys.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. There you go. We do run into birds like that. Uh mm-hmm. it's few and far between with Harris Hawks, but we buy all of our birds. So all of our birds are captive bred. They're bred in captivity. Mm-hmm. We buy We raised them since they're little, you know, couple week old chicks. And for example, we just got rid of a female bird in our team. Her name was Freya. She just wasn't working out. You know, she just wasn't handling the jobs like we wanted her to. She wasn't listening. So I actually contacted a guy who lives in Texas. He lives in San Antonio and he came out here. He picked her up, he bought her. And now she's catching Egyptian geese and mallard ducks you know, off of lakes and rivers that he's hunting near his house.
0: Uh-huh.
2: You know, she just needed a change of atmosphere, a different type of work. She wasn't of an abatement. You know, what I do is called abatement, where we remove birds for work. But he took her and he put her in a falconry setting, you know, where they're just hunting. They're just going out. And they're just focusing on what they can catch for the day. And she did great. But she just wasn't a great fit for our company.
0: Mm-hmm. Interesting. So a Harris Hawk can take down an Egyptian goose. I've shot two of those, uh, in East Texas. One time we were just duck hunting and here come these weird things. I was like, I don't know what kind of geese they are, but you know, goose season's open. Boom, boom, boom. We shoot them. Dog oh, yeah. brings back these pink footed things. I'm like, what? The-? We had to look online and be like, Oh, these are freaking invasive species that there's no close oh, yeah. season or anything. You know? Um, so we have a
2: female, Harris hawk in our group, she can take down Egyptian geese. She actually took down during goose season. She took down a Canadian goose. Oh, wow. And like, I mean, you're talking about a three pound Harris hawk taking down a, what, 15 pound goose. Yeah. It was a wild ride. It was crazy to watch, but she did it she brought it down and we were all laughing. We ended up taking the goose and just letting it go. But um, it was a crazy thing to watch. It really was.
0: It's insane how strong they are. Um, I watched this video. So I wanted to ask you about injuries to these birds. And so one of the guys that I was hunting with uh, for ducks, his peregrine cracked her her beak. And so, you know, had to like use some kind of composite stuff to try to get it to heal. But it was a major injury. And I see videos of just in the wild, uh, things like golden eagles trying to take down an adult chamois, which is like. I don't know, probably weighs 60 pounds, right? I mean, it's a small oh, it's wild, yeah. Servid, but it's a lot bigger than a an eagle as far as weight and strength would go. And then I see them tumbling head over heels down a mountainside. Eventually it lets go. It's like I it, you know, I can't. I mean, the video was like 2 minutes though. This is crazy, the sequence. And uh it lets it go and I'm thinking this thing just rolled down the mountain. It's, I mean, do we have broken wings? What um Are injuries a big part of what you guys do and have to deal with?
2: It's something we have to be aware of. I mean, we're out working these birds like they would in the wild, even more so than they would in the wild. And you're going to risk your bird getting hit by cars. I've had birds get hit by cars. I've had birds get attacked by other wild hawks and die. I've had birds get grabbed by coyotes while we're out in the field. I've had people try to shoot my birds. I haven't had a bird yet die from that, but I've had people try to shoot them with a BB gun or Mm shotguns. The biggest injury we see with our working birds is feet injuries. So like we do a lot of work on concrete because we're out in the city and mm-hmm. rabbits that are in, you know, messing up people's yards. They'll What they'll do is when we're flying them 30 miles an hour out of a the car they'll grab these animals but they'll skid across the asphalt or the uh, concrete and they'll end up rubbing their legs raw. So you know, we can treat them with, with certain lotions and medications on their feet to help that or what we do is we build really big equipment, leather equipment on their legs so that when they skid across it's just on the leather and not on their actual tails or their skin. I think two weeks ago we had one of our birds accidentally catch a a ground squirrel like we weren't we didn't mean to he was just kind of flying around and they do what they want sometimes He caught this squirrel and the squirrel turned around and bit his leg and almost bit through. Now, luckily, the hawk's okay. Mm-hmm. You, you run into issues like that all the time, but that that's part of the deal. They're doing what they love. They fly all day long. You're going to risk injury. That's just how it is.
0: So what other bird of prey would be a real threat to a Harris hawk?
2: Other Harris hawks, red tail hawks. Uh, we don't have golden eagles out here too much, but golden eagles will definitely come down and kill your bird. One of the biggest issues with wild hawks right now is other wild Harris hawks. We'll be out on a resort, chasing birds around, having a good day. Another family of Harris hawks will come over and attack our birds. They'll bring them down to the ground. They'll lock talons with them and bring them down to the ground and start attacking them.
0: Harris hawks are a communal bird?
2: They are, but they're very territorial. You know, it's like you got your family and you got Mm -hmm. your friends and if another group of rambunctious idiots come in. Well, guess what? You're going to fight off those idiots, even though humans are very, um, culturally accepting around other people, we don't always ought to get along.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. That's for sure. Uh, (laughs) and you've had a coyote snatch one up.
2: Yeah. So, uh, this was during our falconry season just a couple of years ago. You're out, we were out flying one of our Harris hawks and they caught a rabbit Rabbits scream. I'm sure you know that. You oh know, yeah. When they get hurt or injured, that's basically a predator call. And mm-hmm. out here, as well as in Texas, the coyote numbers are insane. So when you're sitting there and your bird flies 200 yards away and catches a rabbit, the rabbit's screaming, and there happens to be a coyote nearby, that coyote will sprint towards that sound, grab you, grab the bird and the rabbit it just caught, and just run away with it.
0: Wow! Takes them both. Yep. Oh.
2: Happens all the time.
0: I did not know that. Yeah, we, uh, we do have a lot of coyotes, actually. I shot one uh, this past weekend. I took my uh, one of the twins, the eight-year-old, on her first turkey hunt. And uh, the highlight was this coyote thought our decoys were real turkeys. And yeah. he, got, he yeah. got shot at 10 yards. I mean, he was close, like close, 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 yeah.
2: We had a guy, we were working a property in Scottsdale, Arizona. And Scottsdale is next to some mountains. It's got some, you know, desert background to it. They get deer in this sometimes. One of our hawks caught a pigeon and was on the ground with it. The pigeon was flapping around this coyote with mange. He was skinny. He was hungry. He comes running at the coyote, you know, our hawk. My guy was trying to scare it off because he was right next to the hawk. He's like, Hey, get out of here. You know, what are you doing? Coyote didn't care. He was starving. So my guy grabs a knife. And as the coyote is trying to get my bird, he stabs a coyote three times and kills it. Oh my God. (laughs) Knife, yeah. I mean, I I didn't believe him until he sent me a picture. He said I had to chase the coyote down because I stabbed it the third time. The knife got stuck and he ran off with my knife. And he ended up dying, you know, 100 yards away. And I was just like, dude, that's not real. That's not a real story. And then he sends me a picture. I'm like, hell, man, what's going on? So some of these guys run into some crazy stuff out there.
0: So you're not a old guy. I'm guessing you're late twenties, early thirties. Um, what is the lifespan of these, these birds that you hunt with?
2: I like that. You think I'm older than I am. I'm only 23. I just turned 23 this year.
0: Oh, wow. 23 with, with four kids.
2: Yeah. we
0: You're going to be the cool dad. That's like, uh, you know, all of your, all your buddies, they're going to have kids when they're like, mid thirties. And you be like, I'm done guys. I'm going to go uh, play golf or go hunting or do whatever it is that I want to do. Good <laughs> luck changing diapers.
2: Yeah. I'll be done. Hopefully, you know, if my kids leave the house at 18, I'll be done by 40.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: yeah. We'll see. We'll see about that one. But yeah, we're, I'm young and, uh, been a hell of a last couple of years. I'll
0: tell you crazy. Yeah. You're definitely younger than I thought. And you've built a successful business, uh, an entrepreneur doing what you love to do. But so Back to that question, though, what's the lifespan on, on the uh, Harris hawks or, or, or a Kestrel? Or I, I really have no idea how long these birds live.
2: You know, I couldn't tell you the average lifespan of a Kestrel, but the average lifespan in captivity of a peregrine falcon, a Harris hawk, a goshawk, or an eagle is between 15 and 30 years.
0: Hmm.
2: We had a Harris hawk out here. He just died a couple of years ago, but he died at 45 years old. Oh, wow. Yeah, I think right now the oldest Harris hawk that's out there is I think 38. He's still actively working. Huh. But in the wild, if you're outside and you look and you see a hawk and that hawk is five years old, the hawk's doing pretty good. I mean, that's huh. it's a hard life out there for a bird of prey.
0: Yeah. Fascinating. Huh. What about um what about places where bats are like a, a big problem? Like if you've got a bat colony that moved in.
2: Yeah. I haven't gotten any calls about bats, I'll tell you. I I would say we need to be careful, because I know they carry a lot of diseases, and that's something we have to look after for our own birds. So we catch pigeons all day. Pigeons are nasty, especially in the city. They're covered in grease from dumpster diving, and they have all kinds of diseases. So we have to continually check the birds and just make sure they're okay. So we take all the birds in every year to get a checkup. You know, we go to the vet. Their feet. They take a blood sample. They go through their mouth and everything, just make sure. Hey, this bird doesn't have West Nile. This bird doesn't have bird flu. It is something we have to be aware of. But I've never gotten a call for bats. I don't think we have a huge issue with bats out here in Arizona.
0: Um, I just was wondering because I mean, I've, we have bats in my neighborhood. And in the spring, you can once once the sun starts to go down, you can see. Oh, there's bat, you know bats just flying around. They gravitate obviously towards. Um, lights where bugs are, you know, congregated. Yeah. Um, but one of the coolest things I ever saw when I was younger growing up and like I was telling you, my, my dad and I were pretty obsessive with just seeing, and especially the birds of prey, but we went to Carlsbad caverns in New Mexico and you could watch all the bats fly out. It's like one of the largest bat colonies in the world. And then all of a sudden there's 20 hawks in the air and they're just picking them off, you know, just And I think they oh, were, they can do it. Oh yeah. Probably, uh, probably Harris hawks and definitely uh, red-tailed hawks. I don't remember what other species there were, but uh, it was pretty cool to watch that.
2: They can do it, so I'm sure if we got a call out here for bats, yeah, I mean they could they could do it. I just never have. So I, like, I don't. The versatility of these Harris hawks. I mean, we catch everything. We catch pigeons, starlings. Our birds will catch crackle every now and again. They'll catch ducks when it's duck season, geese when it's goose season. We've done rabbits, whale, mourning dove, collared dove. You name it, our hawks have caught it.
0: Do the Harris hawks typically catch the the birds out of the air, or are they catching them when they're on the ground? It's or
2: a, it's a mixture of both. Uh, on the roost, the time it's on the ground. Okay, I mean roost. that's just that's how they hunt.
0: Uh-huh. How
2: they hunt in the air, hawks hunt on the ground, especially Harris hawks. Harris hawks are meant to hunt lizards. Snakes, rabbits, mice, the occasional bird. But our birds get the drop on the dove and the quail when they're really low to the ground. They kind of come around a bush so that bird doesn't see them. They'll just kind of they'll fan their, their feathers out and they'll capture that, that bird right there on the ground. It has no idea what to do.
0: Fascinating. Um, what about, and I've never asked a falconer this, but why don't, why don't you guys ever work with owls? Then you could really do some night hunting.
2: Yeah. Yeah, people always ask us that. Like, why are you using hawks at night, not owls? Despite the what people say about owls, you know, being really bright and smart, they are the most stubborn bird. They're almost idiotic. (laughs) I've never worked with owls, but I know people who have, and you can't get them to hunt. You can't get them to listen. If you take them to a new field to go hunt, they won't listen because now it's, they're not used to this field. They have no idea what to do. They're also, they hunt by sound. So despite the big eyes, yes, they do hunt with their eyes. They hunt by sound. That's why their face is shaped the way it is. It, it, it attracts noise and they can, they can pinpoint, oh, there's a mouse over there. What's going on? Well, I hear a rabbit over there. So when you're stomping through a field or you're walking on concrete, it doesn't really help them. Normally they'll just sit in a tree for hours and they'll just listen and they'll wait and they'll see if something comes by. Boom. They'll go after it versus hawks. They hunt by sight. They are very, mm-hmm. active thing. they fly and they soar in the air. They'll fly from tree to tree. They'll walk on the ground looking for mice or lizards or snakes and they'll go after it and catch it. But that's why we don't use owls.
0: Hmm. I was always I just wondered about that. I mean, I yeah. figured there was a reason I was like, maybe owls are just assholes. I don't know.
2: They kind of um, are in a sense. They kind of are. Uh-huh. <laughs> there are some guys that can do it, but I never have. And I don't, I don't really think it'll work out well for what we do.
0: Right. Right. Um, well, fascinating stuff, man. I, I've enjoyed, uh, getting to, to visit with you today. I'm always, uh, searching for knowledge on things that I'm fascinated by, which is like I've said, birds of prey have always captured my attention from a very early age. And that hasn't, that hasn't waned as I've, uh, gotten older. Um, do you guys, do you guys let people tag along? Probably not. You're running a business, but I'm sure that the, uh, the Arizona Hawking Association or something will, is very happy to take newbies out and let them, um, you know, just watch and be a part of it. Well,
2: even for us, I mean, if anyone's interested and they just reach out to us, you know, we'll bring them out on some of our jobs at nighttime. They get to see what the Harris Hawks do at nighttime. We're more than willing to, to let people see that. Um, if people are out here are interested, yeah, look up Arizona Falcons Association. They're a great um, association to be a part of. They'll take people out for hunts. They'll find you sponsors. They'll they'll teach you and show you how to get into falconry. Because sometimes that's the hardest step is how do I get into falconry and how can I pursue it? If you're in another state, look up um, your local falconry association. You'd be surprised at how many people actually practice falconry in your state.
0: Yeah, well, it's a fascinating thing to see. So highly recommend uh, if you do get the opportunity to uh take advantage of that. The Instagram is Desert Kings Falconry, uh, website same thing desertkingsfalconry.com. Uh Bladen, man it's been a treat visiting with you. Thanks so much for jumping on and if I'm ever uh in the Phoenix area, I'll hit you up and tag along see these Harris Hawks in action. Enjoy. Great talking with you. So there you have it, Bladen Benson of Desert Kings Falconry, uh, for no other reason than I'm fascinated by that stuff, and uh, hopefully, you guys learned something or thought it was equally as interesting as I did. Coyotes stealing your, your bird of prey—that would suck. Ugh, make me get a predator call out. I tell you what, that segment of the show brought to you by Mossberg Firearms and the MC2 SC nine mm EDC—that's the everyday carry—and uh, yep, yeah, you can get it double stacked, single stacked. It takes—it's actually uh, compatible with Glock magazines as well. And you can find the uh, 9-millimeter MC2 SC right there at Mossberg.com. Coming up next, we'll check in with our good friend Brian Lynn of the Sportsman's Alliance on SCI's Long Star Outdoor Show.
2: Some say a silenced gunshot is the baddest sound out there. At Silencer Central, we have another favorite. It's the sound of silence delivered to your front door. When you buy from Silencer Central, we handle your application, set you up with a free NFA gun trust, and deliver your silencer straight to you. With an average 90-day turnaround time when you use E-Forms, buying a silencer is simpler than ever. Visit silencercentral.com and we'll help you get started.
0: Cable here for Secure-It Gun Storage, the gun storage system that caters to your specific needs. Lightweight safes that allow you to customize the interior to fit your firearm collection. I would know. I've got four of them in my house. It's decentralized storage that keeps me organized and never more than arm's length away from a firearm. The storage system keeps my guns and optics from ever touching or rubbing against each other as well. To check out their full lineup of safes and storage systems, just head over to secureitgunstorage.com, And you can thank me later. Hey, this
2: is Chris Knight, and you're listening to the Lone Star
1: Outdoor Show. You're looking for trouble. You get old in this fight, and you run from yourself all through the night to face
0: another day. Cable Smith welcoming everybody back into SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show, presented by Mossberg Firearms. We're about to check in with our next guest, an old friend of the show, in the form of Sportsman's Alliance's VP, Brian Lynn. Lots of anti-hunting, anti-two-way legislation out there, and uh, Sportsman's Alliance is doing everything they can to help us fight those advancements against our way of life, against our passion. Uh, They make it super user-friendly. I actually just, we'll get into this, during the conversation. But I just emailed and called my local congressman in Texas through their website. Super easy and helpful. Uh, And it makes a difference. So much to discuss with Brian. This segment, though, brought to you by Stealth Cam and the DS4K wireless cellular camera. You talk about the highest quality images sent right to your app on your cell phone. I love it. It's I might check it too many times a day, to be honest with you. (laughs) Uh, In the morning, I wake up and look at pictures of pigs. During the day right now, I'm looking for turkeys. and Of course, always checking on that antler growth as the bucks in my area are just starting to show little nubs of velvet. So uh, that's always exciting too. You can find the DS4K transmit, that's actually what it's called, at stealthcam.com. With that being said... Let's bring him on right now. Sportsman's Alliance's Brian Lynn. Thanks for being here, man.
1: Thanks, buddy. Good to be here as always.
0: How are things in Washington State?
1: A mess. They're always <laughs> a mess in the state. <laughs> Every time you turn around, it's the game commission, the uh, gun laws, and the governor, and you know the politics here are just screwed up and horrible. Turkey hunting's is great, though. So it's been it's been great turkey hunting. So,
0: yeah, so you've gone out a couple times. Yeah,
1: yeah, I've uh, gone out four days. I got uh, my son one one day. I got my buddy's kid his first time hunting ever. We got him one. Oh, nice! Got one of my own. And
0: I'm uh, yawning because I was up too late or up too early turkey hunting myself.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's brutal, right?
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: And the later in the season you get, the harder and harder it gets as that sun gets up earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, no doubt. Yeah, but I've got a nice, got my uh, spot where I hunt. It's a lease, you know, and it's the birds roost down in this canyon. And it takes them about two hours or so to kind of work their way up to the field top where we're at. Yeah. No reason to get there, is some because they are not going to be there for two or three hours. <laughs> Sometimes I hunt the other section, the leather part, and on the back property there. And other times I just sleep in and go straight out there. About nice. Eight. So yeah.
0: Yeah, my guest last week uh, was not a fan of leased hunting. He said it wasn't wasn't really hunting. And you maybe maybe you just added credence to that because it sounds like your lease is pretty cush little thing. Show up about. 10 a.m. and shoot a turkey and call it a day
1: <laughs> with, with the turkeys those guys they, that seems to be their pattern like they don't they don't work up they, they stay down in that canyon in the hollow there for oh
0: for and time. how did you figure that out for him it would have just been like well that was you know that's just dumb luck uh i have a feeling you figured it out from being there early and actually putting in the time and effort to pattern the stupid birds
1: at there many many a day for hours and you know like what's going on and you know up here when the season kicks off it's like 29 degrees at sunrise mm-hmm. you know so you're freezing your butt off for hours and then uh finally figured it out I was like oh yeah I can go hunt the other section and uh come back to this later and uh they'll they'll be showing up well so,
0: I don't know if I would rather deal with rattlesnakes in rain or 29 degree weather cuz that that sounds like deer hunting weather to me. it doesn't sound fun for turkeys.
1: Yeah, it's it's twenty nine and uh, it could snow or it could rain and uh, you don't know what you're getting. And then this last weekend it was eighty seven degrees out of nowhere.
0: Yeah. No, I think I'll I'd rather take the seventy degree weather and the rattlesnakes.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll take that too.
0: And I went uh, second weekend in the South Zone, which that was back in early April here in Texas, and it was 97 degrees one afternoon. <laughs> it's yeah. Too mm-hmm. That's too hot. That brings the snakes out for yeah. sure. Um, so we had a very busy legislative session still going on, right? Um, <laughs> I've never seen so many updates from Sportsman's Alliance as I have in the past, let's just say, month or so.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's uh that's a combination of things. Uh our our government affairs team, Todd, who came on now, I don't know, a year and a half ago, has just been cranking it out. He's got his team in place now and they are just they got their thumb on that pulse and they are cranking copy out, cranking alerts out. And uh this new software we have on the website where you can go and look at your state if, Pretty much, the whole country's lit up orange right now, um, mm-hmm. but that's awesome for tracking and for letting people know what's going on. And you can read the bill yourself on it. So uh, we've just been humming along. So it's one a function of they've just gotten so good at it, and then the function of there's 49. Actually, I think all 50 now are in session, or were in session, and it's an active uh, it's it's an active year. Everybody's hammering away.
0: In in every state, even my home state, which we have a pretty robust hunting heritage. We're very proud of that. Uh, but so they try to do things like through the back door, right? And I'm talking specifically about a a bill that if passed would affect breeders, kennels, like where I got my dog from and where she goes to train and spent a year with these people. Uh, my good friends over at Trigger Time Kennels. I mean, walk us through that bill because this is one you guys have posted about multiple times, a handful yeah. of times. Yeah. Which I believe uh, it's passed the Senate you know, now.
1: Like, and, and it perfectly exemplifies the larger fight. Like, you wouldn't expect what we've seen in Texas the dog laws. I mean, we deal with the dog laws every year there, but this one has grown legs for some reason. Don't know if there's some. Big funding behind it. Don't know if somebody's pet project, but it has legs that it has grown this year beyond what we've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And, so, you know, we we're fighting that one, the gun bills. It just shows how even a great state like Texas can be a victim or be held, you know, by in hostage by the animal rights movement and the anti-gun movement. Um, so what is
0: the, what is that? What are the details regarding that bill?
1: Yeah. So, you know, there, there's commercial breeders um, that you have to be licensed and it, you have to go through the USDA. You have to uh, uh, allow inspections. You got to buy a license. You got to pay for different stuff. And uh, and so, right now, I think it's at like 10, 11 dogs, something like that, that if you have 11 dogs and you transfer, sell whatever, 20 puppies in a year that's the threshold for becoming a commercial license or commercial breeder. This bill reduces it to five intact females and the transfer, I was going to say one puppy, I think it's zero puppies, Uh, Hmm. just one puppy uh, that then you are now a commercial breeder. So five females isn't hard to do for a bird dog guy or a hound guy with a string of dogs and one you have one litter and you give a puppy to your buddy for bloodline reasons you're now a commercial breeder and have to open your home to unannounced home inspections licensing permits fees etc
0: your home yeah yeah i read that in you have there
1: a kennel that you have this uh, separate facility you got five females and you have a puppy yeah you're home
0: and this is uh SB 876 and it's companion HB uh, 2238. These are bad news. Uh, but, you know, you posted it and I went to Sportsman's Alliance uh, bio. There was a link there. I clicked on it. It took me right to the place where I could find my representative and I called him and l- I, I someone answered the phone. It wasn't him, uh, but you know, his assistant or whatever. And I left a very detailed message and told him why these were bad for sportsmen. And uh, so it, it was such a user-friendly experience. I didn't have to type out some link to email. Um, you could well. do an automated right there through the system, it, it, whatever you want to do. Yeah. But I think I, we always say, you know, email, call your elected officials. It really does make a difference though. And it sometimes I think it falls on deaf ears. But like, how else can we make a difference? Well, that's the number one way that we can. Yeah. Because if all of their constituent, if if all of their citizenship that elects them that puts them in power are calling saying, "Hey, jerk off," we heard you were supporting this thing. Why are you doing that? We don't agree with it. I mean, they're not. They're going to try to get reelected, right? So.
1: And, and, you know, it, it doesn't even take all of them. I keep saying this on different podcasts and stuff, and I've said it here, too. Literally, like, 10 phone calls. 10 people pick up the phone and call. That little legislative aide is sitting there answering 10 phones. Now they're ticked off. They tell the, tell the rep, and they're like, what the heck, what, what? And it creates a problem. You, you know, if they support it, you know, they're like, oh, wait a minute. If there's 10 people who feel this way, there's a 1,000 that feel the same way. Mm-hmm. You know more, and if they are on our side and they hear that, that just drums up support. That yeah, they're doing the right thing, so they're going to be more vocal and push back more. You know, when it comes to time to debate.
0: So this bill currently, let's see, where is where is the status of it now?
1: Just put I literally just put up an alert before I came here, <laughs> before I came on, and uh, it has a hearing tomorrow, May third in this hmm. oh no sorry that's nevada i'm getting <laughs> in states
0: yeah nevada's got its own anti-hunting dog stuff going on um
1: year for for dogs uh tethering has been a big issue this year and uh yeah the breeder bills where you lower the thresholds and it's incremental right like it'll start at 10 or 20, whatever the state is at, and they will just lower it a little bit. First, like 10, 10 dogs, it'll drop down to five. Then the next session, they'll bring it down a couple more. Whatever. It's just an incremental. Oh, it's
0: the same thing. It's, you can extrapolate that across any spectrum. Like, um, well, no, 20 rounds is too many. Let's make it 10. Uh, let's make it mm, max capacity for your magazine should be eight. Which is what New Mexico did this year. So yeah, so New Mexico did did indeed do that.
1: Yeah, so it just shows that incremental sliding slippery slope that we all talk about, you know, and the other side likes to say, no, 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 this is just common sense or, you know, animal welfare, but it's the slippery slope and they prove it time and again, whether it's capacity of your magazines from 10 to eight, or whether it's the number of dogs you own and puppies you transfer.
0: So, how in a in a state where conservatives control the House and Senate and the governor's mansion, how does this type of bill get legs?
1: Uh, well, that's a good question. A lot of it is your urban areas, you know, your suburban and urban areas, you know uh, the. Let's be honest, the the conservatives get beat up a lot because they don't use enough feelings and emotion and whatever else. They're using data and science. And so they get beat up. So animals, people, vets and pets are the biggest nonprofits that people give to, you know. So doing a animal welfare bill or seemingly to gives them that soft, cushy, touchy feely side of things that they can point to and say, no. I did this. Mm. Cities and suburban outlying areas where pets and stuff are big on voters' minds appeals to them. That and or there's funding behind it, and politicians like funding.
0: <laughs> there's no doubt about that. Um, let's take a quick break, Brian. We'll come back and hit on a couple of states that are wrestling with the big dogs in the form of wolf-related issues, and then the Biden administration's once. Subtle attack on hunting seems to be amping up as well. Uh, so, we'll get into all of that. That segment brought to you by Lone Star Ag Credit and my friends over at Rustic Reminders Taxidermy. Josh and Becky have been doing all of my taxidermy for over a decade. They do amazing work and they answer the phone when I call. Uh, check out the Fisher that Becky just mounted for me, life size Fisher mount. Uh, you can see pictures of that on my Facebook or Instagram. If you are so inclined, but it turned out awesome. Uh, so, just uh, one more example of the amazing work that they do. Um, you can find them at gr, the number eight, com. We'll be right back on the Night Star Outdoor Show. It's time to tell you about Protect products, veteran-owned and made in the USA. Protect makes your water work harder for you in the field. They have a hydration electrolyte formula for endurance and replenishment. It's perfect for elk hunting, right? Uh, energy formula for when you need an extra kick. Immunity for optimizing the immune system, and one of my favorites, the rest formula to ensure deep sleep and proper recovery. All the formulas are liquid, so they mix instantly in your water bottle or Camelback. And the cool thing is. They don't gunk them up like a powder with that messy residue. They also have an easy-to-use line of mineral sunscreen for quick and odorless application and all-day protection in the field. For more info, head over to Protect.com to see their entire lineup. That's Protect, P-R-O-T-E-K-T.com. It's that time of the year where you might want to try to kick off a new year with a fitness journey. Cryo & More has all your holistic healing needs with cold therapy, heat therapy, and pressure therapy, which... Shortcuts the time you have to spend recovering from your workout or minimize the muscle soreness you feel from physical activity. Cryo Skin is a body hack that speeds up the death cycle of the fat cells using non-invasive technology that uses heat and cold to eliminate fat cells. Your greatest wealth is your health. Visit cryoandmore.com or head over to the location off of Virginia Parkway in McKinney. Hey, this is Nick Munt from Bone Collector, and you're listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Stonecraft. Our very own Whiskey Myers bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor show presented by Mossberg Firearms. Cable Smith here with you. We've still got Sportsman's Alliances VP Brian Lynn here with us today. We'll jump back into that discussion in just a second. First though, I want to take a second and tell you about the brand spankin' new Razer HD 4000 GB from Vortex Optics. Whether you've got your sights set on a backcountry elk hunt or uh, just ringing steel at extreme distance, the all new Razer HD 4000 delivers all the range, ballistic and environmental data you need for absolute accuracy. Best part, you'll get 10% off the new razor GB 4,000 by using my promo code LoneStar 10. When you check out at Eurooptic.com. All right. Uh, well, Brian, thanks for sticking around. Let's go ahead and, uh, let's talk wolves all on always controversial issue. And let's head to Colorado first, a place where I'm not going to lie. Uh, I hope that people's pets get eaten every day by wolves. Uh, well, I wish the wolves would move into Denver and Boulder. Probably who's going to be affected are the good rural folks who didn't vote for wolf reintroduction. But anyway, it is coming. That cat is out of the bag. And and like I said, hope their cats get eaten. <laughs> if you voted for wolf reintroduction, I hope your pet gets eaten. Sorry, I'm not sorry. You know, I just don't have a lot of empathy for people who uh, base wildlife management on emotions rather than science, but Anyway, I digress. Wolves are coming. They vote, the general population voted to reintroduce them to fundamentally destroy the most robust elk herd in the lower 48 in the process. Um, that's happening. But what has been in the news a lot is the plan. So they're coming. How are we going to manage them? Or are we going to manage them? Uh, Where do we stand there? Because there's been a lot of updates on Colorado wolves and the status of the uh, management plan because the antis are trying to get something passed to where the wolves will never be taken off of the endangered species list. And so there won't be any management, but I don't know exactly where we are right now.
1: Uh yeah, I'm a, probably a couple days behind. Uh, the last I saw was the bill going through that was uh, the ten J, the J ten ten J, that to uh, to designate them. You know that, that fish and wildlife have to uh, do, or the state has to do a environmental impact uh study, and supply that. So then they are labeled as as an experimental population. So it's, it gives greater flexibility to the state to management rather than strictly uh endangered species stuff that the other side will use as leverage to keep everything from happening
0: has anything that was supposed to help wildlife been hijacked to the extent of the endangered species list
2: <laughs> no
1: <laughs> it's it's been hijacked and anytime somebody calls for reform the other side says they're trying to you know rape pillage and destroy wildlife and our natural resources and everything else. There are tens of millions of dollars being made off of the Endangered Species Act by multiple organizations, primarily Center for Biological Diversity, but Maine Society gets in there too, and they're in there with the wolves and the grizzlies leading the way. But uh, CBD is just, I mean, at one time, I, they had a when Trump was in office, they had a Trump tracker and they were showing, they were suing, there was a lawsuit a day against fish and wildlife. I think in a five-year period, they filed something like 323 lawsuits. Tens of millions of dollars a year being made off of this by suing and organizations like Center for Biological Diversity in the Humane Society of the United States. Wolves, grizzly bears, CBD, you know, they, they love to go after anything and everything. Fishers, snails, lizards, fish. You know, anything they can sue on, uh, I think uh, in a five-year period, I think it was, uh, they filed something like 323 lawsuits against Fish and Wildlife and the, oh, of the, the uh, Department of the Department. So, uh, so yeah, they're, they're hijacking it and using it for, for their own good.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, that's what those organizations exist to do, is raise money and then sue – hunting yeah. community, essentially, or state, you know, state or uh, federal yeah. wildlife, fish just wildlife.
1: site. Go to Center for state Wildlife game University's website and look at their lawyers. It's just a list of lawyers. And we're talking like good schools, Duke, mm-hmm. Columbia, NYU, law schools, you know, they're smart people, sharp.
0: You know, we mentioned Colorado. They're doing the same damn thing in Minnesota where they're trying to get a forever ban. On yeah. wolf management, like they don't yeah. even manage wolves anyway, but they're trying to make sure that we never can.
1: Yeah, yeah. So you know, they're, they're, there's the people in Minnesota, the uh, the animal rights movement, and those politicos that are on their side see that they're running out of moves. Like this is a chess game we've been playing for twenty years here. Mm-hmm. You know, it's coming down to the end game. There's going to be some stuff coming pretty soon. You know, that will hopefully, <laughs> I say that after 20 years, hopefully get them delisted. But the politicos and the animal rights movement in Minnesota see that possibility coming. So they're putting a bill through and it's not a bill, a standalone bill. It was snuck into the omnibus environmental spending bill. So it's just one little piece of hundreds of pages, you know, that will say, No, if they're ever delisted federally, we're still not going to hunt them in in the state. Hmm. And Yeah, nobody's going to hold up a huge bill over one little piece.
0: Yeah. So that's why it's so alarming is because other states can look at, you know, if Minnesota gets this forever ban passed then okay, now here's the new playbook. And, you know, Wisconsin or Michigan, which also have way more wolves than they're really set up to support. Uh, yeah, you know, they they can and, do the same thing. And, and, and the one thing about this is. Or well, New is, Mexico, because guess what? The wolves are going to come from Colorado into New Mexico. What is their plan? They didn't ask for wolves. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> well, so, so, you know, it, it, the, the real
1: sticking point, especially for the Minnesota thing is that it's not a standalone bill. We aren't getting a say. Nobody's getting a say in this. It's been tucked into a larger, broader spending bill. So it's not, unless they bring it up in committee, there's no discussion about it. It just gets folded in and they have to vote up or vote down on this hundreds of pages that affect a lot of other things. So it's you know, this is the political trickery that we're seeing here.
2: It's the pork.
1: Yeah. Well, and then, you know, we're talking about suing. Uh, I believe it was yeah Center for Biological Diversity talking about Colorado wolves. Now they filed suit against the fi- uh, Forest Service to protect any wolves that leave Colorado. So if they cross over a border where it's legal to hunt, they want it stopped there. So this allows them to, you know, within any area, geographical area, wolves cover huge territories. Mm. They can make the argument in court that these are Colorado wolves. and need to be protected. Can't be hunted. Therefore, you can't hunt any of the wolves.
0: Yeah. What a mess, dude. What a mess. Um, last thing to hit on here. and You know, you try to tell hunters, you make a difference with your vote. I knew it was a bad sign when he put Deb Haaland in as uh, Secretary of Interior. She's not a fan of sportsmen. She's a preservationist, not a conservationist. There's a big difference there.
1: Yep.
0: And, uh, you know, she's been bad news. Now, um, this week, there was a special on Fox. Uh, our mutual friend, Ben Cassidy over at SCI uh, spoke on sportsman's be- the behalf of, of our community, but it's become very clear that, you know, two years later, Biden's, and I don't even think Biden knows. I don't think he's mentally with it. He doesn't even know what's going on. He just wants to eat his ice cream and have someone change, change his diaper for him. But whoever's pulling the strings has let, let it come out like, Hey, the that's pretty clear it's an anti-hunting agenda uh a lot of that has to do with possibly banning lead shot on federal wildlife uh, management units and they were doing it like uh you know on new units they were like okay here's a new wma we're gonna make this one mandatory no lead shot my interpretation of what came out now is that they're going to try to implement this on existing ones as well.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, and this is you know we the Sportsmen's Alliance sounded the alarm on this a year and mm-hmm. a half, saying this is hey pay attention everybody here here it is, and we've been fighting the whole thing the whole time, and uh, yeah first it, it goes back to Trump's expansion onto uh, different refuges like twenty different refuges when he expanded it, and Center for Biological Diversity sued, and said it wasn't appropriate blah 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 blah. And so they've sued, and as part of the settlements, uh, and this is what we're really upset about is we weren't allowed in the room at all. They were they were negotiating our hunting and fishing because mm-hmm. of lead shot, it's lead ammunition, all any type, and lead fishing lures, you know, it's sinkers. So it affects everybody. And so it got applied to the settlement that they reached, was yep, it would apply to those uh. These upcoming openings that uh, the Biden administration did and it would become policy as it expanded to any new openings would be lead free. And of course, they're going to one, try to go backwards with that and do it for the existing refuges as well as all other federal lands. The PEER group, uh, I can't remember what PEER stands for, um, P-E-E-R, is petitioned the Forest Service to apply it to Forest Service lands so uh-huh. this can spill over to all federal lands very easily and then as we've said you know last year it's easy to make the states do it it can leverage it to states because PR funding and all yeah. the other that the feds give the states do
0: this or we won't give you your monies
1: they can withhold those monies if they don't follow the guidelines they can't tell them what to do
0: but money speaks
1: so if you're holding you're holding tens of millions of dollars from the states of course they're going to follow those so it can easily spill over to to public lands, all public lands.
0: And we've talked about this over the years, and I've talked about it with you, and I've talked about it with other folks within the hunting community, but there's no scientific evidence to support that we need to ban lead shot on WMAs or uh, BLM lands or Forest Service lands because we don't manage these populations on an individual level, meaning okay, you know, and ducks, waterfowl, separate. We saw it was causing a problem, so we changed it. Okay, we don't see that this is a problem because it isn't. Um, if one, let's say bald eagle, gets lead poisoning because it ate the carcass of uh, uh, an elk that was left in the field and ingested some lead, number one. I don't think that eagle, unless someone can prove to me that that it's true, is going to ingest enough lead in one feeding session to kill it. Number one. Number two, if it did kill it, sorry about you, eagle. You're one eagle. How much money in habitat was saved by taxes on lead ammunition in the grand scheme of things? It's one eagle. sucks. I don't want any animals to die. I I, I don't. Uh, But how much good is being done because of affordable... It used to be affordable ammunition, Uh, but the most affordable option. And you know, you talk to people like my friends over at Kent Cartridge, and they're like, "Dude, if they do something like this, we can't flip a switch and make all of our our dove or target loads non toxic overnight. It's going to cost us millions of dollars to switch our machines to find uh, new suppliers for the components." And then, who's it going to affect? It's going to affect the consumer at the end of the day because prices are going to go up.
2: Yeah,
1: definitely. You know, and, and man, there's a lot of different prongs here that you just hit on right there. You know, one one of the studies they the other side. I could in. do more.
0: I could do more. <laughs>
1: <laughs> one of the studies they lean into there is that you know it's impacting eagles, and the study was something along the lines that. Well, it's not, you know, killing all the, it's just slowing their growth, which they've also expanded more than they've been around, but
0: bald eagles are doing pretty damn good.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know? And so, like you said, we manage at the population level, uh, you get into the supply and demand. There's a reason lead shot is more affordable. I'll say, I'll put it that way. (laughs) More affordable is because it's more plentiful, the the more, uh, the, the more exotic metals, are not plentiful. That's why they cost more to begin with. Mm-hmm. You want another argument that was uh, interesting to me? The guys at Federal, I was talking to them, all of their shot that they use from lead is from re- uh, reclaimed car batteries.
0: Right. You mentioned yeah. that last time, which is fascinating. Yeah. And then the
1: non toxic stuff they have to import from overseas. also uh, right. like, there's so many different variables in this and pieces to it. But the one variable that's constant is that if there's the lead ban, they're, and we're all forced to use non-toxic, in air quotes, these other metals, the price is going up. There's just no way around it. Supply and demand and economics. And just,
0: they've already gone up so much too. Like,
1: And then as prices go up, participation drops. It's just
0: fact. That That's the key right there. As prices go up, participation drops, right? Yeah. And that's yeah. the end game for them is... How do we undermine hunting without just banning hunting? Well, we get less people participating. We have less support because now there's less hunters and we have less opposition as we try to steamroll them into oblivion in the name of protecting animals who ultimately will lose because yeah. you're not protecting them. We are. You hit it. Well, that's one to continue to monitor it was good to see it get you know a national story you know uh national attention on a major news network uh so that was encouraging and we we certainly appreciate all that you do at sportsman's alliance all you all your team does i think it's 35 dollars for the year to become a uh, a member and support this organization that I mean, Sportsman's Alliance does way more than $35 worth of good for me individually. You know, like I, I wouldn't, and I do this for a living, but just, it's so easy. I just follow along on your social stuff and then I know everything that's going on. Yeah. And if I want to contact uh, a representative, you make that easy for me as well. So there's no reason not to support Sportsman's Alliance, I guess is what I'm saying.
1: Exactly right. Thank you. 100
0: times. <laughs> <laughs> no
1: disagreement. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, Brian, I look forward to our next visit, man.
1: All right, buddy. Thank you.
0: So there he goes, Brian Lynn, our longtime friend and VP over at Sportsman's Alliance. Uh, That segment of the show brought to you by Black Rifle Coffee. Whether you like a light, medium, or dark roast, they've got something for you. They also have uh, some really cool unapologetic and pro Second Amendment swag, T-shirts, caps, all that cool stuff. You can find it all at BlackRifleCoffee.com. Unfortunately, we are out of time for today. Got to go, got to get out of here. Thanks to Brian, as well as our other guest today, Bladen Benson. Uh, thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of SCI's Lone Star Outdoors show. Until next time, I'm Cable Smith saying, y'all have a great week in the outdoors.
2: Here we
1: clean our guns. While we turn our cheeks, we're like angels and demons and dogs in heat. So, baby, raise your glass, but don't cut your teeth. Just show your sweet tooth grin to everyone you meet. Tell me what's this world that we're clinging to? It's all for one, but none for two your skin with a heart tattoo And tell me what's this world that we're clinging to